Welcome to the Universal Sisterhood Podcast. We're hoping to create a place where women can delve deeper, lift their gaze higher, live freer, laugh louder, smile brighter, and be the authentic woman she was designed to be. Every human heart is created to be known, loved, and understood. So this is the place where women can share their story. Welcome to episode 61. In today's episode, I chat with Britt Fisk. She's a beautiful mum to eight beautiful children. Only 12 months ago, her life took a U-turn with a very sick little baby and a very sick mum. She was diagnosed with breast cancer in both her breasts and her baby had a tethered spine and spina bifida and was facing life-threatening surgery. Um, Britt's story, although it looks and sounds and is a frightening prospect, shows us just how redemptive suffering can be when you walk hand in hand with Jesus. Um, Suffering is hard and ugly and uh, painful and scary. But when you suffer willingly, knowing that you do not suffer alone, somehow in in a really upside down way it's bearable just you are never alone and I have so many women on my podcast that testify to that fact that no matter the storm no matter the problem no matter the the muck or the shame or the joy God is with you through it all And Britt um, shows that in such a raw and honest way. I was drawn to her by her beautiful face. And if you hop onto my Instagram, you'll see just how beautiful she is. She now carries many scars, but those scars make her even more beautiful because scars show healing. And that's what a scar is. A scar is a a sign of something that has been broken and has been healed. And her story is so healing. So I hope you enjoy listening to Brit as she shows that suffering is something to never be afraid of. Because when you allow your suffering to become redemptive suffering when you realize that you're never alone and that God is with you in your suffering it is bearable thank you so much for gracing this podcast with your voice and your beautiful face not that anyone will see you I'll put some pictures up in the Instagram um but it was your beautiful face that captured my heart about 18 months ago. Uh-huh. So I <laughs> Before we dive into our conversation, I would love it if you could just give us a little bio of who you are and what your life looks like right now. Sure. My name's Britt. <clears throat> Sorry for my voice. It's kind of 
fading due to a cold. <clears throat> but I live in New Mexico. Uh, I'm married to Jeremy, and we have eight children, the oldest who's 11 and the youngest who's about to be one. And we raise beef cattle on our family ranch here. And we just, in the last couple of years, started a, a business where we actually sell beef around the United States uh, through a website called Bell Road Beef that we've joined with my brother and sister-in-law. I mean, my sister and brother-in-law. <laughs> and um, that's what's keeping us busy right now. Good. Have you always lived on the land? Until I went away for college. And when I did so, I really didn't think I would come back. Not because I hated it or was against coming back. It was just a way of life growing up that was a little bit too risky for me. It depended on too many things that were out of our control. So I wanted to find something different. But then when I married Jeremy, he hadn't ever done anything like this. He knew very little about agriculture and he wanted to give it a try. And so he finished up his master's and we were married for a year. And then we moved back and we've been here for 11 years. So never say never. <laughs> That's exactly right. So were you a bit of a controlling person? Like, did you, did you like control? Is that why you didn't I want do. to work I on the do. farm? So much, so much that I never even realized. But yeah, I wanted something that was more stable and I wanted something, like you said, that I could control. And um, I, we didn't find that. <laughs> <laughs> no, because, well, I just want to say, the last 12 months for you, maybe 18, 18, 12? 12. Has been totally out of your control. Yes. Yes. So that journey um, is what we're going to talk about today uh, because I, I um, a friend, I think, asked me to pray for you and she showed me a picture of your family. Oh, and sweet. my heart just broke. Because I saw, I don't know whether you had had this photo shoot done on purpose or was it, did you know you, no. So it was. Um, it was a photo shoot I had lined up. We always do, or I try to do Christmas cards every year. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry. Don't worry. Keep coughing. <laughs> we had been spoiled by a photographer friend who had come annually. So we just got in this mode of doing annual family photos. Um, and I scheduled them for mid-October. And then after that, I had scheduled a mammogram the following Monday. I, I think we had pictures on a Saturday and the mammogram was on Monday. And all during the photos, I just kept thinking these could be monumental. But no one, like my husband barely knew that I had scheduled that appointment. So so why anyway. did you schedule it? Was it just because you were coming at a certain age and you thought you should have a mammogram or did you feel that there was some, a change? <clears throat> what happened was, I guess it was in July, June or July, I was pregnant with Agnes, who's my eighth baby. And right before I took a shower one night, um, I had an itch and I scratched it 
and something wasn't right. And I thought, oh my gosh, was that a knot that I felt in my upper chest? And the more I felt, the more I thought, oh, you know what? That's just part of pregnancy. That's she's about to be born, probably mm -hmm. some milk duck stuff. No big deal. She was born in August and brought with her a host of health problems. And I forgot about that lump or not or whatever I felt. And um, then when it was my annual exam, I forgot about it again because my doctor and I, after <clears throat> part of the exam, just started talking about my daughter um, because he was concerned about her. And then in a weird, not turn of events, but kind of backing up, my granddad, who was almost 90, the previous year had had a stroke. And he was home <clears throat> at this point with my aunts taking care of him and my grandma. And one night, he lives like 30 miles away. And one night, um, I guess he got really upset with my grandmother. And uh, he said, the next morning he said, Britt called me last night and she said she had something important to tell me and you took the phone away. You wouldn't let me talk to her. And she was just trying to kind of appease him and was like, Sam, he, she didn't call you. And he's like, no, 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 she did. She did. It went back and forth. He got more angry. Uh, and so she texted me and she said, Britt, Pop is what we called him, is upset with me. He thinks you called him last night to tell him something was wrong. And um, do you mind telling him that everything's okay? And I said, sure, do you need me to call? And she said, no, just text me and I'll show him. So I did. And then her response, I could tell that it didn't work. And so I thought, <clears throat> I have time to run out there. He hadn't met Agnes. She was almost two months old at the time. And so I just ran out there real quick. And I got there <clears throat> and he says, see, here's Britt. She just showed up. She called me last night, didn't you? And I said, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't. But I, I did want, he said, you said you had something to show me. And then something was wrong. I said, well, I'm here to show you that I'm okay. But I also wanted you to meet Agnes. And so he kind of appeased him a little bit. And he joked and asked me, I think, if this was number 17. He always <laughs> joked about my family size. Um, and then I spent some time there, gave him a hug, and left. Um. And that night, I remembered the knot that I had felt. Oh. And I thought, oh, maybe something is wrong. And so the next day, I called and scheduled a mammogram. But what had happened is we had a major appointment for Agnes coming up. And I wanted to get through that. And so about two weeks later, I had a mammogram. And then everything kind of just went from there. Wow. Yeah. It, it's amazing how God uses everything to try yeah. and speak to us. Yes. Every single thing. Um, 
I remember when I was, I kind of had my reversion. I was like high on the Holy Spirit and was just, you know, I, I used to have these running jokes with him, like, what are you going to show me now? You know, yes. and things would just happen, like just just silly things. Um, not silly, right. but rand, random things. Mm-hmm. And he actually has a real sense of humour. <laughs> if, if you take the time to, to listen to it or look for it, um, he does use everything to capture our attention. So that's a beautiful reminder of don't dismiss anything that somebody might say to you um, because it may have um, I heard the Franciscan friars of the renewal saying yesterday that God uses everything. He he sneaks into even the prisons of Auschwitz, you know, with um, Maximilian Kolbe, and he'll, he'll use us to speak to somebody to, you know, remind them of something or to encourage them in some way or it, it's beautiful. Right. Okay, and so let's get, sorry. It's just sometimes taking life slow enough to be able to see those things. Totally. And and haven't we been given that slowness? Well, I Sydney has at the moment. We've been asked to stop. Yes. To slow down, <clears throat> to reassess, to, to find time for him, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes. There, is, there are so many hours in the day that we waste uh, and he's given us this time to, to just set aside half an hour. If exactly. that's too much, try 10 minutes. Exactly. Exactly. It'll, it'll make yeah, a world of difference. Yeah. Okay, so let's get back to your story. You said that Agnes had some health issues. Yes. So what? They were things that we weren't really aware of. Um, my other seven pregnancies had gone remarkably well, and I realized what a blessing that is. This last one, the only real difference was um, midway through, they discovered she had a two-vessel umbilical cord, which is supposed to be three, but it was one of those issues that could mean a lot of things or could mean absolutely nothing. You know, sometimes those health concerns when you're pregnant, you don't know exactly what they'll turn out to be. And we had had some genetic testing done mainly to determine if we had a a girl or a boy. And because I was advanced maternal age, so the genetic testing just came with it. Mm -hmm. Um, And everything on that seemed to be the way it should. And um, I also had excess amniotic fluid, the polyhydramnios. And so she was induced at 38 weeks. Um, And the only thing that we noticed during my pregnancy is that she was measuring a bit small, but small for me was anything less than an eight pound baby. So nobody was extremely concerned. But when she was born, um, they handed her to me. I was holding her and I started hemorrhaging. And so they, they took her so the doctors could focus on me. And the nurse next to her table, or that was doing the examination, said, "You know, um, things don't look quite right in her diaper area. I just want you to be aware." And I had 
no idea what that meant. And then she said, and she's got this really big bruise down her leg. And so they were worried maybe that that had happened during delivery, but the delivery was really quick and smooth. Uh, so we were all kind of wondering and uh, when everything was under control and we had a chance to look at her more, she did have some deformities um, and that leg almost looked like her whole left leg was full of little spider veins, but still we didn't know to think it was anything other than some type of bruising. And it wasn't until our pediatrician made rounds that night and came in the room typically upbeat, but you could just tell that she wasn't this time. And she said, um, I know you're really worried about Agnes's vascular malformation. It's the biggest I've ever seen. And I said, you mean the bruise on her leg? And she said, it's not a bruise. And so then of course the questions come like, well, what does that mean? And we didn't know and she didn't know. And she said, I'm doing my research tonight and I'll have more answers in the morning. And she did. And she's an amazing pediatrician. And the next morning she brought to us this syndrome called lumbar syndrome that she thought it might be. And they ran all of the tests in the hospital uh, and checked everything out. And we left the hospital knowing that she had several different complications. And the biggest one at the time they thought was a tethered spinal cord. But it was one of those things that from our small town hospital, we were going to have to take her to a specialized care team elsewhere to get any more answers. So then we spent that time leaving the hospital. We got her baptized just in the event that something happened that we didn't expect then went home and started searching for answers at a more advanced pediatric hospital to try to get her the care she needed. Can, can I ask that night when the pediatrician came in, how did you sleep? <laughs> I didn't. No. She didn't either. She was, <clears throat> she was researching and I was just mourning or in my mind, you know, like what in the world does this mean? Why is it happening? What's her future going to be like? How can I how can I help her? And of course, that one question of why can't I just do this? Why can't mm. I take her place? Just like you would for any of your babies, mm. you know. It's 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 hard enough to have a baby and all the emotions that go with that to be told that night. As you're, you know, she's doing her rounds that, oh, I know you're concerned. You probably didn't even, you, you thought it was a bruise. Yeah, we didn't know to be concerned. We weren't so concerned. Yeah. We had a few hours of bliss. Yeah. Um, but we knew something wasn't quite right. Mm. But um, had no idea the extent to which it wasn't. Did you, did your faith play a role in how you approached that evening? It did. It did because hmm, it's hard to really say exactly what role it played other than the fact that we, we were her parents and we loved her deeply. 
immediately. Mm. And it was, funny is the wrong word. I always say it was funny, but it wasn't. Um, I was, I had a lot of moments of lots of tears. And my husband did at times, but was a bit stronger that night. And um, he was the one who insisted that we name her Agnes after Mother Teresa. Mm-hmm. And um, he's walking out the door to get her from her bath. And he turns around and he goes, you know what she would tell us right now? And I said, what? And he goes, all you do is go home and love that little girl. Oh. <laughs> I do, I do. And I think it was just that first moment of God asking us to give everything to him and letting him lead the way. He's asking you to let go of those that control. Mm-hmm. Yes. How beautiful. What, a, what an amazing husband you have. I do. I really do. Mm. So right. We cry a lot on this podcast. I just like to let you know. <laughs> okay. I, mean, I do. I do anyway. <laughs> um, Britt, the um, that was just probably pure grace that got you through that night, and probably still carries you. It does. Yeah. Grace is powerful stuff, and we'll get more more into that because your story doesn't end there. <laughs> So you take her home. So she feeds and she just behaves like a normal baby? She really does. And we, there were so many things and still many things that we just kind of watch and see. Um, what had happened, the, the quickest difference we noticed, I guess, if that's the way to put it, is she had that hemangioma all the way down her left leg and spanning across her bottom. And what they told us was, very quickly, it starts to proliferate. And with that, um, we would maybe start to see ulcers on her bottom or the areas in which there was more rubbing or friction or heat or anything like that. So as we get home, you can just tell pictures we took in the hospital to that first week these new spots that are just arriving because that proliferation stage has started and so we had been told by our pediatrician that in order to treat that or help that she needed to be on a heart medication that as a secondary effect slowed that growth and so it was just in our mind we've got to get her to a care team as soon as possible to help with this. Um, and I don't really know where I'm going with that now, but um, the first thing we noticed is her bottom did start to ulcerate and her skin would just rub off as you went to wipe. So and that's then, because of an oversupply of blood vessels or why would, or no blood getting to that area? I think it's a little bit of, Mm-hmm. So the blood vessels aren't created in her body the way they're supposed to be. The channels that they form and the, the, the way that they carry blood to and from, instead of just being a nice, neat little tree of vessels, they're in clumps. Mm-hmm. And so it really, truly does 
look like what you might look like when you're 80 or 90 years old, you know, just mm-hmm. it's very, it's very visible that she's got spider veins all mm-hmm. down her leg. Mm-hmm. And so I guess, and because of that, the tissue in those areas isn't good. And that's the best way I know how to describe okay. it. Okay. Yep. It doesn't heal properly. It's very thin. It's very sensitive. So we got to a point with her, and, and you know, all the newborn diapers and the consistency of that, we could not wipe her. Every time she went to the bathroom, we had to give her a bath and spray it off. Or, and from the minute she went to the bathroom until she was cleaned, she was screaming because it hurt her. Yes. And it's just hard to find a solution because, you know, yeah. a band not a band-aid but a bandage in that area makes things even difficult yeah so that was our first major issue with her at home wow so that that's that's a real cross and I suppose that kind of took your mind off the the knot or the lump that you found yes yes and so that's what it was it was full steam ahead only focusing on Agnes what do we have to do to get her to her next appointment or to this next step in the process, everything else not fell apart, but became less important. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Agnes is not is is quite a sick little baby, and you have seven other children. Life still rolls on. You have a big um, beef farm going on, a business running in the background to support you. Yes. You go for your mammogram just because you thought you have to tick that one off the box Mm -hmm. and and forget about it. So here's what happened. It was bizarre. Like I said, we had to wait. Agnes had a major appointment between when I called to schedule my mammogram and when I actually did it. And that appointment was a full MRI of her spine to determine when we could have surgery to release her tethered cord. Well, never in our minds did we think that there was a possibility that that surgery couldn't achieve the release of the cord. We always just knew that doctors were very divided on whether or not you waited for symptoms to appear or you did it prophylactically. Well, so we had the MRI done. It was a sedated MRI. A few days um, came and went before we received results. When we received results, the neurosurgeon there says, this is one of the most complex cases I've ever seen. It's called a chaotic lipoma. And I don't think I'll ever fully release her cord. So do you guys want to proceed with surgery or do you want to wait? And it just was one of, another one of those things that We weren't expecting, like we just thought they would say, okay, yes, it is tethered. This is the day we think we should do surgery or we should wait and move on from there. So we come back to New Mexico kind of with heavy hearts because the radiologist even had told us, she said, when you see the neurologist, you need to ask the important questions. And we said, what are the important questions? She said, you need to ask if Agnes will ever walk. Oh, that wasn't on our radar. 
Um, but anyway, so we're coming back to New Mexico. It's Peter's ninth birthday, right after his birthday. We have family pictures. And then I told my mom that I'd scheduled a mammogram. I think I told Jeremy on the way home from Agnes's appointment, because in my mind, it was an issue with a milk duct and I didn't, I just thought it was stupid. Yeah. And I didn't want to get anyone worked up for what something was just probably something I should have known by my eighth pregnancy. Yeah. <clears throat> and my mom wouldn't let me go alone. So we loaded up, went to that appointment, get in there and they used the word suspicious and they found some swollen lymph nodes. And I said, what do you mean by suspicious? And they said, well, it can mean a hundred things that don't matter, mm-hmm. or it can mean the one bad thing. And if we knew it was the one bad thing, we would tell you today, but we don't. So we're going to biopsy everything and tell you by the end of the week. Well, at that point, you know, you just get that feeling that like, this isn't a clogged milk duct. <laughs> um, and so all I could think of as I was going home, which, you know, sometimes my initial thoughts in my mind go to the worst place. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, they just do. And I all that kept going over and over in my mind was. Jesus has been through everything we've been through. He became man in order to relate to us. But he didn't have to live without it. Mm. And that's all I could think of. I was like, I, and my kids can't find that example in him. Yeah. Um, and then I got the call two days later, sooner than I expected. And um, when I answered, they introduced themselves and then asked if I had a minute to talk, which is, <laughs> which is never, I've never, discovered. it's never yeah. good news. They ask that. You're always getting in trouble. Oh. Yes. Oh, there's something wrong. <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> so they told me that they had, <clears throat> sorry, that they had found cancer. Um, but at that point, they had no idea the staging or the grade or the receptor status. And that information would come the following week. But at that point, then I had told three people that I was going for a mammogram. My husband my parents and my sister. And so then I had to tell everybody that I had cancer without them even knowing that was a possibility. Mm-hmm. So it was just a catch 22. I didn't want people to worry over something stupid, but then I had to throw something at them that they weren't expecting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess that's just the way it goes sometimes. Wow. So. That is an incredible story. <laughs> uh, one that I, you know, you can't take looking after yourself. Like people say, oh, you've got to take care of yourself. You know, you've got to do this. My, my husband is always telling me, go and get a mammogram, go and have a pap smear, go get your health checked, like get your skin checked, you know, and it's like, oh, I'm too busy. I have too much to do. I can't, I can't waste time sitting in a waiting room or waiting, booking another appointment or. Right. You just don't do it. Right. And right. 
you are witness to the fact that you should be on top of it and, and look after yourself, which you did. You you did do it. You did, but you did do it. Like I know so many people listening will probably think, I actually have never gone for that mammogram. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So is there cancer, breast cancer in your family? Is there history of breast cancer? No, there isn't. Uh, and that's what's so bizarre to me is number one, that I have it. And number two, the amount of young women I've met in the last year Mm. who have the very same story. So my initial thought is don't wait till you're 40. Mm. Go get a mammogram before. What's it going to hurt? You know, Mm. I think you just aren't even aware that that's necessarily a possibility, Mm. especially when you don't have history. And as also, especially being, you've breastfed all your children? A little bit. A little bit? Um, I made it three months with everybody that's, up until Sophie. That's breastfed and, children. And I know some people say if I would have done that. Like one person actually did say if I would have um, breastfed longer, I would have given my body the hormonal break it needed between children, and this might not have happened. There's so many what ifs, and that's their theory. Right? I was like, "Eh, well, we don't know that, but. (laughs) And thank you for your thank you for your unsolicited advice, yeah, (laughs) and suggestions and tips. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So it's so random, and you don't know, and not to scare anyone. But at the same time, I would I wouldn't wait till I was forty. I yeah. just wouldn't. Yeah. Wow. So um, you didn't know you had to tell family and friends that you had cancer, but you didn't know what stage it was or right. The staging what- took a, <clears throat> took another week ish. I mean, I think they, maybe it was the next Tuesday. I found out on a Wednesday, and the next Tuesday. Um, and what they found locally was stage 2B, which is right before stage 3, it had, it was what they called invasive ductal carcinoma, which I think is the most common kind of breast cancer. Uh, but it had already spread to two lymph nodes. And it was grade 3, which is the most aggressive kind. And then I went for a second opinion at MD Anderson which actually they became my first opinion. They said, uh, I just went directly there. They, in the myriad of testing that they did, they also found a different kind in my left side. So, uh, wow. So, yeah. And then they tested the receptor status and I am triple positive. It's fed by estrogen, it's fed by progesterone and it's fed by the HER2 protein. Wow, so, so you had cancer in both breasts. Yes. But two different. different but two different types. Yes. That's incredible. And the one in the left was very, very early. So mm-hmm. they caught that one very early, but like I didn't even feel anything there. But their MRI detected it. Wow. Yeah. So where's your faith at this point? Have, have you do you think God has forgotten you completely? Or it, it, what did you do? Where, who did you reach out for? You know, I, I talk too much. 
No, you don't. But it had been a hard year already. And I think it had been a hard year for a lot of people because of COVID. But we had been through some things um, with a, a friendship that kind of went bad. My sister lost a baby way late in pregnancy. Um, I had, oh, maybe betrayal is the right word, mm. with my priest. Mm. And that had kind of put me at a point, put a breaking. Yeah. And I finally realized that for so long, I wanted the approval of everyone. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know, I just try so hard to do what I think will be the best thing for this situation or that. And not in a, not in a self-righteous way, but like, I want people to approve of me. I want people to ask me what I think I want. Um, those maybe worldly things. And finally, in talking to another priest at this point, he said, you've got to realize that if no one else in this world loves you but God, that's all that matters. It's time for you to let go and to let him love you. Mm -hmm. And I finally, and you know, you've heard those things, but I finally was like, you know what? I don't have it in me anymore to not do that very thing. Mm -hmm. So retrospectively, no, I wouldn't have wanted to experience each of those things. And each of those things taught me something. Um, but it prepared me for what was to come. By this point, I wasn't, like Agnes didn't break me and the cancer didn't break me. I had already been broken in a sense and was rebuilding. Yeah. And, you know, truly just a gift. I've never... I've never questioned my faith. I've never, I, I, that's maybe the wrong way to put it. I've never not known God was right. Mm. You know, it's not that I've had the best relationship on, a, and on my end, I've got so much work to do to have a better relationship, but I know he's always right beside me, mm. even if I'm not doing my part. Does that make sense? Totally. Can I just say, um, this morning when I was looking through your, I thought, oh, quick, I've got Brit's interview today. I better, you know, refresh or get to know her a bit better. So I went through your Instagram posts and there was one where you said when the doctor or the nurse rang to um, give you the news and you just took the paper or the book that was closest to you and you wrote down everything she was telling you and it was the book He and I, which yes. has changed my life. Uh, so I ran and got it just before we hopped on this call and there's a bookmark in there and I opened it up before we started chatting and I read what page it was on and I'm just going to read it to you because I think, you know, we know that God speaks to us in everything and the part of the book that I have underlined and my bookmark is in it is um, September 29. You can't believe, can't you, that your God used this trial as a new way of getting your attention so that you would take a firmer grip on him. My child, how creative my love is. Oh, my goodness. It's so true. 
Isn't it it's true? So, yeah. And, and, and we shouldn't be frightened of how he gets our attention. It might be through a diagnosis of cancer. It might mm -hmm. be through a, a little baby, a child of ours that is sick, but he doesn't give bad gifts. All his right. gifts are good right. if you open your heart and your hands to him instead of holding on and wanting to be in control. Just I know. And I struggle so much with that. And it's funny, even after this year, I do. But after the beginning of that year, I have this little decal on my mirror, the detachment prayer, which is a very hard prayer for me to pray. But I know that's the prayer I need to pray. And I prayed and prayed and prayed it. And as I'm detaching for things, I'm just like, are you, are you sure that this is the right plan? You know? <laughs> um, but uh, this year, when I, when I really let God just take over, I'm always more at peace. But I still fall back into the way I want to do things. Mm -hmm. And I just think, I don't know. This year's taught me how little I am, you know? Yeah. And uh, how much work I have to do. And not as not in a sense of like Catholics working their way into heaven, but yeah. in a how much I, love, how much more love I, I need to give. Right. Yes. And how much more help I need from him. Yeah. So anyway. How beautiful. Um, so did you go straight into uh, chemo? Like how did you juggle surgery and like Agnes's surgery and, and now yours? Mm. What did that look like? This is another thing that was solely a God thing. Um, so after we had heard about Agnes from her neurosurgeon, my pediatrician said, you know what, Britt, let's get another opinion on Agnes. I'm so worried about the complexity of her case now. Well, that was right after I'd had my mammogram, but I hadn't had the results. And so I found out that you could do an online opinion at Boston Children's, which is one of the most world-renowned places for vascular anomalies, which is what they categorize Agnes's hemangioma. And with that, an amazing neurosurgeon. So I get all of her records sent to this online review board and ask this doctor to look at it. And it's supposed to take two weeks. And I'm prepared for that. Um, my stories get so long and convoluted. Oh, I <laughs> but, love it. You're a good storyteller. <laughs> but um, so I've gotten all of that done. Okay. Then I'm waiting for his opinion. On Wednesday of that week, I get the call that I have cancer. And then on Thursday, my pediatrician goes, do you want to also um, try to get an opinion in Texas, in Dallas? And I was like, you know what? My plans have just changed. I'm going to be in Houston. If we get a third opinion, it needs to be in Houston. The opinion from Boston came back immediately. It was supposed to take two weeks. Mm -hmm. This world-renowned surgeon said, 
She has one of the most complex cases we've ever seen. Based on her imaging, unless I saw her and thought differently, there's no way I would open her up. He said, number one, we can't see right now from the imaging what we would be doing, basically. Number two, if we cut that hemangioma, which is so close to her spinal cord, there is always the chance that it would she would bleed out. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that was mm-hmm. added to it all. And he was incredibly thoughtful in his response and an amazing man. And he's, you know, he said he was praying for us. Mm-hmm. And so I immediately draw back because I'm pushing, pushing, pushing for surgery because once her symptoms show themselves, the nerve damage has been done and they can't be corrected. Mm-hmm. And one of the symptoms we needed to be looking for was loss of bowel and bladder control and different things like that. So I, I really didn't want to risk that. But then here's this other opinion from this world-renowned neurosurgeon. And so in the meantime, I'm trying to get my appointments in Houston. One of my best friends lives in Houston. And as a last resort, she said, you know, one of my soccer mom friends has a brother who's a neurosurgeon. What if we just asked his opinion? And I said, sure, at this point, do whatever. Um, she called him and he said, actually, if I had any child, if I had a child anywhere in the world who needed a neurosurgeon, I would send him to this particular man in Houston. No questions asked. So I was like, well, I'm not going to sign me up. (laughs) Exactly. So, but in the meantime, my pediatrician had been trying to contact Texas Children's to get a referral to a neurosurgeon there. She said, once we get these two different opinions, we have to have a third to determine which to go with, Mm -hmm. to see which way the third one leans. Well, anyway, so that night, of course, I'm the mom now that's shameless. (laughs) Find his email address. I send him the guy, the doctor from Boston's opinion. I send him the images. I send him a picture of our family. I tell him I have cancer, that I'm going to be, that I'm going to be in Houston. Basically like a cry for help at 10 p.m. one night. The next morning, he's responded and he CC'd every member of his team and told them exactly when they were going to see Agnes in their office. Oh, I'm going to cry. Oh, I did. And then get this. So I hadn't heard back from the previous doctor in Houston that my pediatrician had been trying to get in touch with. But I knew it was in the works, but they hadn't called and hadn't called. As soon as I hang up with this new doctor, getting everything in line, a voicemail alert shows up on my phone from the other doctor. But I had not missed a call from them. I had not seen a notification and it had happened two days before. Wow. I was like, I need you to go to this doctor. So I'm going to find a way to make that happen. Even though this other doctor was trying, you know? So this doctor, truly is a gift from God and he worked miracles in Agnes oh. and we were able to take him, 
take her with us to Houston while I was receiving my first rounds of testing. So how far away is Houston from where you are? It's 12 hours. So we, we took a flight and, uh, by the time, you know, it was one of those things It was supposed to be five days of appointments and it turned into two and a half weeks. Uh, and by the end of that two and a half weeks, we started to notice that Agnes was in a lot of pain that we hadn't seen before. And she was in pain when the doctor saw her and he just looked at her and he said, if this were my girl, this were my daughter, we would do the surgery this week. And so when he said that and having everything else fall into place, as soon as insurance approved it, we were on a schedule. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's a miracle. It really was. It really was. <laughs> and the getting through the surgery, because then, of course, your mind goes back to the statements of the other doctor. Yes. Just like bleeding yeah. out and everything. Yes. Yes. There's, an, there's another layer of letting go. Yes. Let, exactly. Not being in control. Right. <laughs> so, were you able to be with her? Or were you receiving treatment as well? So I was able to delay my treatment a week. Her surgery was scheduled for December 4th in Houston, and my chemo was scheduled for December 7th, closer to home. And so our plan was for Jeremy and I to go down there and I stay with her. No, our plan was to both go together. The day of her surgery, they uh put into place new COVID restrictions. So only one of us could be there with her. Mm. So I was there through the first weekend and left early um, to go back and start receiving chemo. And he was supposed to be there about, I think a week longer. Um, he was gonna stay with her through a couple more days in the hospital and then stay with her in Houston to have a follow-up appointment and then bring her home. And then we ran into some complications and that didn't happen. Yeah. So we were, um, they didn't actually get back home until the 28th of December. Oh, so it's Christmas. Yeah. yeah. So it was just my family and I with the other seven and Jeremy and Agnes at the hospital in Houston. She ended up having to have she contracted meningitis, her spinal fluid was leaking, um, and she had to have another surgery before she came home. But he performed a miracle. He did what no other doctor said they could do, and he fully detethered her spinal cord without her bleeding out. So, wow. yeah. You so, can't, modern medicine is phenomenal. Isn't it? Oh, incredible. The thing about it is he opened her up. And I guess maybe doctors have this in their back pocket. Maybe they don't. But he knew enough. He opened her up. When he removed all of that fatty tissue, he discovered that she had spina bifida, that she was missing those little sections. Mm -hmm. And then her, um, oh gosh, I'm blanking on the name. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Down there. The, the dura covering her spinal cord was also missing. So he had a piece of bovine pericardium that he dura and, a and dissected some of her muscles to create a closure to sew her back up. Wow. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. 
it was an eight hour surgery and they kept us updated along the way. So with the text that says they've opened her up and they're proceeding with surgery, it was just like, oh, okay. In my mind, whatever happened after that was just extra because you made it through the opening was all I needed. Yeah. Oh man. And where, how was your faith at this point? It just, I was being carried. Yeah. And I was being carried by the thousands of people, friends and strangers who were praying for us. And I still feel that today. Yeah. And I've said it numerous times since then. I've always kind of said, oh, I'll be praying for you. But Mm -hmm. is there anything else I can do? And now I realize it truly is the most important thing because in the moments, in the hours, in the days that I can't adequately pray, Mm. the prayers of others are giving me the grace to continue. Mm. And I've never felt that before. Yeah, that's so powerful. And it's true. You can never underestimate the power of prayer when someone... You know, and you can kind of say, oh, I'll pray for you, you know, and, and go on your day without doing it. But it's so important to just stop and do that. Stop exactly. And, and it doesn't take long. No. It doesn't take long. Just right And it can it. be life-changing. Yes. For somebody it else. It is. Yeah. Completely. So beautiful. I've started a, a rosary group just in the morning on a, on a Thursday morning at 6.30 in the morning. Just women being united together just to pray one rosary. You know, it doesn't take long. Right. But the power for those families that are receiving those prayers, uh, we'll never know this side of heaven. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. But it's so necessary because so many people need prayers. Everybody needs prayers, but <laughs> just that intention. So how beautiful. So you are a witness to the power of prayer. Absolutely. I mean, I I don't know where we would be without our faith at this point. Mm. And the faith shared by so many, like it truly embodies the oneness of all when connected through God. The universality of it. And also it makes it makes us so humble. Oh my gosh. Like I am so small. So. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And there is no way I could do this without that. Right. right. Um, so Agnes is out of surgery successfully. Uh, so she contracted meningitis during surgery because of the surgery or? <clears throat> the most critical thing about that surgery is the closure and making sure the spinal fluid doesn't reach the outer world. Yeah. And because she didn't have that dura and because they had to create a closure, it just wasn't, mm-hmm. there wasn't much of a chance that she'd get through that aspect. And what we. So did was, they know that she probably, most likely she will contract meningitis, but we'll have to manage it. No. No. And I think we were with a neurosurgeon who's so incredible that he had never experienced what he might view as failing. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, um, but it wasn't him. And it truly, another God thing, 
after I left, she started not being able to empty her bladder. Mm-hmm. And so uh, she had to be cast every time after every feed. And we were did worried. Did you have to do that? No, you were in the hospital. Jeremy did it. Uh-huh. And he was in the hospital, but he was trained to do it because they were like, you're just going to have to go home doing this. Mm-hmm. We ordered supplies, everything. Um, and we were worried a little bit that maybe, maybe the surgery had caused her to have these bladder problems. And it was a risk. And the benefits to the surgery outweighed the risk. Mm-hmm. But the day they were supposed to be released, she developed a fever. And they saw the spinal fluid leaking. So it was almost what kept us in the hospital to see that major thing. Because had we been 12 hours away at home with her having meningitis, it would not have been good. No. So they kept her. They scheduled surgery for the next day. They had to go back in and try to reclose it. And at that point, they pulled the plastic surgeon in. They grafted more muscle and tissue and closed it again. Um, and she never had a bladder problem again. Wow. Which, you know, doesn't, to me, make sense. But it makes sense in the, in the big picture. And then at that point... Um, as she was recovering from her second surgery, the wound did open up and her back or that, that lower area of her spine began to swell, which put pressure on her wound. And the spinal fluid was um, cooling in her lower back. So we were almost just waiting for it to open again. Mm-hmm. But the spinal fluid this time never leaked out into the open. So even though it was pooling, as long as it was contained, it was okay. So at that point, uh, her neurosurgeon tapped the fluid every day to try to relieve the pressure and to try to keep that from happening. Um, and eventually, when he couldn't tap much more, we, he, they were sent home. And we just cared for the wound. He, he taught my husband how to do everything. And we just cared for the wound at home. They were... They arrived, like I said, the end of December, and I think her wound fully healed in February. Just to show how um, not great her tissue is. Like, yeah. that would have normally healed. Unhealthy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Of, yeah. In a few weeks, but anyway. Wow. <clears throat> That's amazing. Yeah. And how is she now? She's great. She's so good at. She had an MRI, a follow-up MRI in July. And our hope was that the MRI would show that the cord still hadn't retethered. There's always a, a risk of it retethering. Um, in the infancy stage or as she gets older, like forever or just as she's growing? Forever, but it only matters until she stops growing. Okay. Because the problem with the damage comes from the stretching of the cord. So once she stops growing, it really won't matter that much. But we'll continue to check it yearly unless we start to see symptoms. Well, on the MRI, <laughs> that chaotic lipoma is back. That fatty tissue has regrown. And so we can't see it. Mm-hmm. We can't see if the, 
cord is flowing freely or not. Mm-hmm. But so now we're kind of back at a stage of we wait to see if any symptoms arise, if she starts to show pain, if her feet turn inwards. But as of now, she's so good. And in fact, this week, um, she started trying to crawl. And that's a huge thing. And so anyway, she's just a little miracle. And she's so, such a light. She's so happy. So beautiful. She's just a doll. She's gorgeous. I mean, I'm her mom, but. Oh, no, she's beautiful. But she's doing so well. She really is. That's gorgeous. So, so your suffering has given her, you know, life. Pretty. Mm-hmm. You kind yeah. of helped each other. Yes, exactly. And it's kind of interesting, funny again. One of the risks with the hemangioma is lymphedema in the area in which it presents itself. So, her little left leg may begin to swell or look bigger than her right leg. Mm-hmm. Um, and my surgery has caused me to have that risk on my on one of my arms. Mm-hmm. And it's purely a vanity thing. It was one of the things I was most worried about with surgery. And I started to show a few signs of it. Mm-hmm. It's just like, I think God keep it going. Nope, we got to let go of that too, Brett. We got to, we got to fix that too. Is that surrender and, prayer, detachment prayer? Yes. Action. Yes. Darn it. But when I think of it as, you know what? If I have a bigger arm and Agnes has a bigger leg, then she can always look to me and be like, you know what? My mom has that too. Like, and we can just help each other yeah. and understand each other's frustrations at times or, you know, little sufferings at times. So you, your surgery, I know we've been talking for a while now, but let, let's quickly um, focus in on you. You had a double mastectomy? Yes, in April. Uh-huh. And, and they removed all the lymph nodes in my right side and one in my left. Did you and say they took them out? They did. They took all my lymph nodes in my right side. And just one in my left side. Um, yeah. So what does that mean for your um, immune system? I'm not. I'm not a. Yeah, I don't. I don't know a ton, but it weakens it a bit mm-hmm. um, because of there's nowhere for that lymphatic fluid to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just part of it. Um, C- can I say you are the most beautiful looking, uh, no head? woman I've ever seen bold woman and uh, but your hair growing back is just so beautiful oh you're a short like that I do this morning because we're in lockdown and I can't get rid of my gray hair I was thinking (laughs) I was looking at myself in the mirror and I thought maybe I'll just do a Brit and and cut it all might as well it's easy and I don't know it looks great oh thanks do you, do you, do you? I know this is just a very superficial thing, but do you miss your hair? Do you do you mind it being short? I don't at all. Um, I think sometimes my kids might miss it, but I wore a pixie for a uh-huh. while, uh-huh. and so now it's almost just like, well, 
I had my run with some long hair and here I am again. So this is just so easy that I think I'll just leave it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so how are you now? What's, what's, what's tomorrow look like for you? Um, so I have a much lower toxicity chemo until I mid spring. Um, it's attached to a drug that's targeting the Herceptin receptor. Um, but like I said, it's a much lower toxicity, so I'm not going to lose my hair. I don't have the horrible days that I did earlier this year. And then I have a hysterectomy in about two and a half weeks to completely, not completely, but to get out as much of the estrogen, estrogen producing areas of my body. You know? Okay. I was going to say, why, why are they taking your, yes. Okay. I see. So my cancer, the estrogen component of it is fed at a level of a hundred percent. And so that's, that's always going to feed if there's any remaining cells. Um, and so they want, I know this is, this don't take this the wrong way or as a really rude, it's not a rude question, but is that because you were fert quite fertile or not? You had, because your, your children were quite close together. In yes. age, I'm just asking, I'm wondering, I wonder if that's maybe you have a high estrogen. You know, and you, that could be right. I haven't ever even asked that, but that's a, a great thought. I have no idea. Mm -hmm. um, I do know that the great changes being having kids so quickly affects your hormones okay. greatly, but I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Who I, knows? Yeah. Yeah. But that that question doesn't bother me. I just don't yeah. know the answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not being, you know, rude or anything. No. Um, okay, so what was chemo like? With coming home to eight children, surely you're trying to come up for air. That's <laughs> right. like, give me a break, Lord. <laughs> you know, it it wasn't. There were some really bad days, to be quite honest, but it, they weren't in the way I expected. I mean, just um, any preconceived ideas about chemo, I had the thought that I would just be in the bathroom throwing up all day. Mm. I wasn't, but what it did to my mind and my ability to think and focus and tune in to my children or anything for that matter became a big mental game. I wasn't prepared for the mental game. I think I was prepared for what could happen physically and some of that did and didn't happen. Mm -hmm. But I could quickly allow the mental part of it to go downhill fast. Yeah. Like there were days, not in a, I don't even know how to describe this, but where I could see if I was older and had had cancer recur multiple times, I could see where you would just sometimes maybe go, you know what, I'd, I'd rather maybe be with God. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I can see where people are like, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. But um, it, has a, it has a big effect physically too. Do you but, think your children gave you the will to live? Uh, of course. 
and my husband and my family. Um, I can't tell you what it's like to be around people, family and friends, who you know are worried about you and who would trade places with you. And it sometimes makes it easier to be the one going through it than to be the one watching. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You're amazing. No, I'm not. I realized through this truly, I, it's been incredibly humbling and I needed that. Hmm. If there was one thing you could say to somebody who is has just been given a diagnosis or um, is living through it right now, what's could you think of one thing that you could say to them? Um, Whether it's themselves or their children that have, you know. I would say to truly do everything in your power to give it all to God. Mm. And, and not in a, a way of just like, here's this little slogan. Mm. But <clears throat> on the days that I consciously chose not to worry, I was at peace. And I am at peace. And I think that's because I've seen God work in such small ways throughout this journey that I, in those little ways, I'm like, if, if he's taking care of this teeny tiny thing, then of course he cares about the much bigger picture of me being alive. Mm. And, and that has come back to me over and over again even about decisions that we're making now because of this last year. Like, just give it to him. Give it. Yeah. And don't hold on to anything. Just let him have it. And he'll work miracles. But they may not be the miracles you've created in your mind. Yeah. They may not look how we expect them to look. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But they're there. Yeah. How beautiful. Um, Britt. What does life look like now? Like your children, um, have they, how have they gone on this journey with you? Has it been hard to see it affect them or not affect them? Or how does it play out for them? It's been really hard. I think that's been one of the hardest things. Um, Is like I knew if I were seven years old and heard that my mom had had cancer, and those around me who had passed away mm-hmm. and I knew of had passed, you know, like when you're little and people are dying, if it's not an accident, it's usually because they're old and got sick or because they had cancer. Mm-hmm. And we know some people who've recently passed. And so all that was running through my mind was they're going to think I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. And how can you go on as a seven-year-old thinking your mom's dying? Yeah. Um, and that bothered me greatly. Mm-hmm. And um, what someone reminded me of was just as God is giving you the grace to go through the journey, he's giving them the grace to witness it and go through with you. Um, we dealt with m- my little boy having severe anxiety. He saw a counselor this year. The kids have asked some hard questions and we've tried to be as honest as we can with them. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to school next year and I've homeschooled them their entire little lives. 
And that might be the hardest thing I've had to let go of. Mm. And I just still sit here and question and say, God, do you really want me to let go of this? But he'll look after them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's just, and they, <clears throat> we have always been open to life and wanted a big family. And eight is a huge family. But the kids just had in their minds that we were going to have more. Mm -hmm. And now that door is being closed. And just tonight, Peter said, you know, Mom, if we want to keep our family going, I've heard there's a thing called adoption. <laughs> but they care about all those little things, too. Mm -hmm. um, but they are so resilient and have taught me so much. Mm -hmm. Like you said, you, you ache for them. Yeah. Um, but God's got them, too. He loves them more than you do. He does. And you can't you can't get your head around that. You think you can't possibly love them more than I do. But he does, and he will look after them better than you can. So just give them to him. True. Mm -hmm. We could keep talking. I, I just want to ask one one more question before you have to go to bed, because I know it's late over there. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. Um being a woman and um, a beautiful woman at that, having a double mastectomy and now losing your ovaries and your uterus, how how do you do you feel different? Do you feel that that, or is that just another thing that you're handing over? Like, how do you come um, to terms with that? You I know, know it's a personal question, but never know. Um. The, the thing I I went back and forth with was I didn't want to lose my wholeness as God created me, if that makes sense. Yeah. But in talking to a priest friend of mine, he was just like, but also you go through battles and God loves you with your scars. And I knew that. But I was debating whether or not what which one was the better thing to do and um, to reconstruct or or to stay flat. Um, and I also worried about my femininity. Like I don't want to be perceived as trying to be somebody who I'm not. I want to walk down the road and people to see me as feminine that that matters to me that the beauty of femininity matters to me um but uh in the end it really hasn't been as difficult as i imagined and i don't know they've just right. i've abounded in that too yeah they really have and it's just part of i think part of like you know what i give up something to possibly gain something greater. So much and that's having time with my family. So, awesome. and you know, just there again, like coming back to God loves you without you having to do anything on your own. And so he, he, he already loves me, so there's nothing I have left to prove. 
getting back to what that priest told you well before your journey, this, this cancer journey and Agnes' journey started. Yes. Just be still and let him love you. And he is. Yeah. Love you. But it ha- he had to shake. <laughs> to shake me up quite a bit. There's a lot that I was attached to that I didn't think I was. <laughs> oh, we're, all, we're all there. He had to grab your attention somehow. And right. he has. And because he grabbed your attention, you are grabbing the attention of so many other women out there. So I can't thank you enough. Oh, gosh, I don't know about that, but thank you for allowing me the opportunity. On this podcast, at the very end, I asked my guests something that brought them joy this week. And I know I didn't prep you beforehand, but if you can think of something that brought you joy, I can go first so you can think if you'd like. You go first. I'd love to hear it. Okay, so I have a daughter who struggles with dyslexia and we are doing our hats off to you, homeschooling mum, because I, oh man, it's tough. We have been homeschooling for four weeks now and I am a teacher. I'm a primary school teacher, but doing this, this, this is, they don't listen to me. Anyway, um, you must be a very patient woman. Oh, I'm not. That's my problem. My daughter wrote a poem this week and it was so beautiful and she is so she's never been proud of anything that she has written and this was so beautiful and she's so proud of herself and it just brought me so much joy. It was beautiful. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so that's How my joy. <laughs> oh, that's a big joy. And um, mine would be my sister lives in Chicago and we are as close as they come and she has been here for three weeks. She leaves in the morning, mm. but just her presence and the presence of my nieces and or my niece and nephews, um, it's just always so life-giving and it's always hard to say goodbye, but mm. we'll see him again soon. Yeah. So Skype's not the same though, is it? No, it's not. I need that hug. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I'm not going to take any more time away from you and your sister, so we're going to end it here. And thank you so much for being such a beautiful witness to hope and surrender. Oh, my gosh. And life. Thank you. You're so kind. Oh, no, thank you so much. All right.